I don't just play a Christian on internet TV. I'm one in real life, solely by God's grace. And that means for me what it means for you. It means I open my Bible and I read words from God that correct me. Because the flesh lusts against the spirit. Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Here are some of the words that correct me. Words of Jesus as reported by Luke. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. That's Luke 14, 12 through 14 in the ESV. Now, who actually does this? Who actually reads his or her Bible and obeys these specific words? I think I've basically done it once in my entire life, I am very ashamed to say. But I know someone who has given much of her life's energies after her amazing adult conversion, her train wreck of a conversion, she calls it, to love of the stranger. And she's written a book about the topic that has made a big impact on me. In this episode, I talked to the brilliant Rosaria Butterfield, who, in my opinion, was given to the church for such a time as this. I've read all her post-conversion books, and she is someone whose insights and heart I warmly commend to you. This is the first episode of the second season of the Bible Study Magazine podcast. We've transitioned from audio to video and audio, and this season we are focused on Bible application, faithfully using the Bible to change your affections, your thinking, and your behavior. Listen in for insight into applying the Bible from Rosaria Butterfield. Welcome to the second season of the Bible Study Magazine podcast. We are moving to video now, and I have as my guest someone whose ministry I personally have appreciated over a number of years now, Dr. Rosaria Champagne Butterfield, who is the author most recently of this book. And during COVID-19, I don't have access to the Faith Life Library. This is the copy I bought for my wife about a year ago um, of The Gospel Comes with a House Key, Practicing Radically Ordinary Hospitality in Our Post-Christian World. So, Rosaria, you said I could call you Rosaria because you're a lover of strangers. That's what the Greek <laughs> word behind you says. That's um, right. <laughs> thank you so much for uh, being my guest today on the Bible Study Magazine podcast. The, the, the sincere pleasure is all mine. Wonderful. Now, I read your book, and I told you before we were on here, I've read all three of your Christian books. I, I, I guess I don't know if you wrote books uh, pre-conversion. I did, but that's okay. You don't need to. It would not be good for you to read those. So Okay. Although I was really curious, I'd really like to read that article that you wrote about Promise Keepers in the Syracuse newspaper. That's still that's still floating around. I could find it on the internet, I guess. Oh, yeah. And I could send, I mean, if you can, I'll send it to you. But I would actually really like that. Yeah. Um, I was attending Promise Keepers events, at least one way back in that very day. So I'd be very interested. Um, I read your whole book. Um, I, you know, that's the dirty secret of interviewers. They don't always do that, but I really did. And uh, I wanted to read it. My wife doesn't often beg me to read a book, but she actually really put some holy pressure on me to read this long before I ever thought I would get to interview you. And I have to say this really nicely that I've rarely read a book that hit me so hard in the gut or even in the face. And I just mean that with all the love and positivity I can. Um, you know, interviewers are supposed to sort of maintain an emotional distance, but I just couldn't because this is right where I live. And I have questions for you that whether other people are interested or not, I've just got to ask them, but I have to imagine they, the they likely are, yeah. So first, just thank you for your work for the body of Christ, really sincerely from our family. Thank you. Now to those questions, and I'm going to start with a Chick tract that I saw, I don't know how many years ago, Jack Chick has these tracts that I don't know if you've ever run into them. Have you seen Chick tracts before? No, I have no idea what that is. So just- Okay. Well, they're like, um, they've kind of become a cult kitsch symbol. They're kind of considered campy, okay. um, but they came from a a guy who was uh, just trying to get the gospel out. He's also into conspiracy theories that we don't need to get into, but this particular tract from probably back in the 60s, um, he's written a bunch of these and they're little comic strips actually. Um, 
I always remember this one. It was about a a Christian family who was wealthy, and you got the sense that because they had an intact home, a dad who worked full time and a mom who wasn't drinking alcohol all day, they had extra money, and so they had nice food. And near to them, next door, was a single mother, if I recall correctly, uh, with kids and who's struggling. And it showed the lack of compassion that this Christian family had for this non-Christian family. Um, and the kids in the Christian family were both ungrateful and haughty, like the Pharisee in the parable. Uh, what Bible do you apply to people like that? Because the reason I've thought about that image so many times is that could be me. Our family's intact, the Lord's provided for us well, but there are broken families all around right, us. What right, Bible do you right. say to somebody who's not looking outward to those broken families? Right, 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 right. Uh, well, you know, a couple of things. One is, you know, there's a little Pharisee working in all of us, right? You know, we, we love to steal um, credit from God. We, we love to think that somehow um, our gifts are needed for the kingdom. We, 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 um, and we, you know, so we're all little Pharisees at, at heart. I think that the the issue might be larger than that, though. Um, uh, I mean, it could be. I can't see it into the hearts of the people in this cartoon or whatever it is. But yeah, I mean, it could be that they think that they are better than the, their poor neighbors. It could be that they uh, have no compassion. Um, it also could be that they're really afraid, and they they don't they don't have uh, a sense that. God never gets the address wrong, and those right. neighbors actually belong to them. That there's a right. that there's a belonging. So it could be a heart issue. It just could be a kind of a lack of understanding of um, of your your responsibility. Um, it, it could be one of those things. But I think you know we always have to be careful of the little Pharisee in us. You know we have right, to be because right. you know Jesus did not come for the righteous. So if, if, you know, if you're the righteous, then you're the most pathetic person on earth because there is no gospel for you. Right. So, you know, that's a hard issue. It also could be a fear issue. I mean, there are all kinds of issues that would keep people from getting to know their neighbors. And so what's really helpful is to just, first of all, give the charge, you know, right. God never gets the address wrong as a Christian you have been appointed to this moment. I mean, right now you and I are talking in the midst of COVID-19. I don't know what's going on at your house, but what's going on in our house makes the gospel comes with a house key look like hospitality on training wheels, All right? So we are way busier than that right now. Things, are, hmm. things have moved considerably. Um, wherever you are, if you're a Christian, you got to roll up your sleeves because God has put you in just that place that he's going to use you, but you've got to, you know, the thing that, that Christians need to be willing to do is to show up. It's very mm -hmm. possible though, that our neighbors don't know how to do that without potentially violating people's privacy mm -hmm. or getting in over their heads. Right. And that's why it's always important to remember that as a Christian, you are, your hospitality, it, you are an extension of the, the local body. So maybe, maybe the neighbors across the street really do have big problems that you can't handle, but maybe not, but you're not alone in it because you've hmm. got elders and pastors with whom you can discuss that, you know, maybe it's a matter of, of providing some resources and fixing the screen door, but maybe hmm. it's bigger. And mm -hmm. so it's okay to realize that, that you are not in this alone and you can't do it alone. So you're picking up on multiple scriptural principles. You're applying the principle of the body, you know, Paul's image of the church. I'm going to be a persnickety interviewer for one second and press sure. you on one part of my question. And that yes, is please. give us Bible. This is the Bible studying magazine podcast. What okay. verses come to your mind Yeah, that so my family needs to hear when we are tempted during COVID-19 and frankly, during other times to be insular. Uh, right. we're, we're busy. We don't need to reach out to people's problems. Sure. Give us Bible. Okay. Well, here's a couple of, them. Let's start with Ephesians 2.10. Um, let's start with Ephesians 2.10. Um, 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Before these crazy neighbors moved in, God prepared good works for you to do and to bless them. Before we ever knew what COVID-19 was or uh, stay-at-home ordinances or other things, God prepared good works. Your good works are not contingent on the world around you. This is also, not only is it a scriptural principle, it's a hermeneutical principle that Christians don't read the culture and then find a Bible verse right. that you know sort of makes them feel good in that terrible, whatever that terrible cultural place is. Rather, we read the Bible and then through that, and we read it widely and deeply and, 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 and in long seasons, and yeah. through the reading of the Bible, we, we, we look at the world. Um, and so, so God's already prepared good works. Um, he knows the, the neighbors are a mess. And he probably knows we're a mess too. We just are so used to our mess. We're, we don't, uh, you know, we're not upset. Right. Um, right. We've been able to cover over the mess with a nice veneer. That's at right. Times. Just, you know, there's also Matthew 25 and there's, um, you know, Hebrews 13 that you are... Um, that us, you know, strangers um, are not strange to God. Right. Those are image bearers of a holy God, and and really, poverty is not a sin. Uh, I mean, it may create temptations to sin in ways that people with with means might not have, right. but also having plenty creates all kinds of temptations too. That's exactly what the Bible says. So. So yeah, these are your neighbors are your responsibility. God has already foreordained good works for you to do regarding them. He knows they're a mess. He, pro- he knows you're a mess too, even if you don't know it and you need to show up, but you don't have to show up alone hmm. and you don't have to put your family at risk. Um, you don't have to do any of those things, but yeah, you do the- show up. Those are my concerns as a dad, you know, taking off my professional interviewer hat and putting my dad hat on. I'm in my home right now because of COVID-19 and right over there, I've got neighbors and right over there, I've got neighbors and the kids in the neighborhood want to play with my kids. And I'll tell you one of the things that I fear, and I was hoping you'd give me some wisdom on this. And I think it would apply to many people in, as you call it, our post-Christian world, because we can't assume, of course, we could never assume that everybody around us shares Christian values. We shouldn't assume that. No, and we can't right. assume that we ourselves are always living them out. But my kids learn things from the neighbors that I just rather they not know. Um, I'm going to uh, make a risk here. I'd actually rather my kids not be aware of the music of particular pop stars that are super hot. And that's exactly what the neighborhood kids are teaching them. Um, how, how do I, I looked at some of the reviews of your book, um, and this was a concern that some people raised. Yeah. I, I want to do what the Bible says. I want to show love to the stranger and to my neighbor. And it's one thing when it's a adult to adult, but what, what, what fears, um, what fears are justified for, that I have for my children and what fears are actually keeping me from doing these good works that I've been prepared for before the foundation of the world? Right, right. And, you know, and first I would say, you know, you are the head of the household and setting boundaries around those things are extremely important. And I think it's, this is where it helps to just understand the, the different kinds of fabrics of different people's households. Now, our household is made up of uh, uh, children who have been adopted out of foster care. Two of our children came at the age of 17. Um, I learned some new words, right? Um, I was not raised in a Christian home. My husband was not raised in a Christian home. I mean, really sadly, my kids came across, um, you know, a, a, a song, uh, you know, they played a DVD and there was a bad word in it. And, you know, and one of my kids said, oh, this must be grandma's. You know, okay, so so I'm, I'm not saying that, that I'm, because I'm proud of that. I'm just saying that, you know, we're just probably in a different place than you are. But what I would say in terms of neighbor children, because we have a lot of neighbor children, we've taken neighbor children to church camp, we've take, we feed neighbor children, we've, we've had to sit down with neighbor children and say things like, you know, in, in this house, the only time we use the word the God's name is if we're praying to him or reading the scripture. We, we, so my suggestion is to move in closer. See, the problem is the kids are playing, you know, 
over there in the woods building forts. You nailed it. They're not, they're not at your dinner table. Right. And so the challenge, I think, is not to move away from the neighbor kids who are using bad language and really just modeling what they know. Right. I, I think the challenge is how to move in close. And that does mean that we have to get out of our offices and go out and actually play with the kids. Hmm. And, and, and I, you know, it, it is a great privilege to do that, right? It is a great privilege for me to have the liberty uh, to both homeschool my children, but also to go out and play with them. And there are other things that when, and even if you're not totally obnoxious, maybe you're gardening, maybe you're walking the dogs, you don't have to be actually in the fort, but you're, you're, you're close enough that you can kind of hear these conversations. Yeah. You can also correct, I'm going to say bigger problems than kids learning a bad word. And you know what? They learn a bad word. They need to learn that they're not to use that word right. because this honors God and this is how and why. Um, uh, but, you know, there are other things you're going to learn. You're going to learn which kid in the neighborhood is getting bullied. Hmm. And, and you're going to get to know that kid's parents. And you're going to find out that you can really be some help to them. Hmm. And also, they're not embarrassed to ask for help because they really need it. Because if you think the mouthy 10-year-old is a problem, you should hear what's going on with the 15-year-old. Hmm. So I would say that if you, you know, Problems are like kicking horses. Mm-hmm. And if you stand too far away from a kicking horse, it can really wind up and break your leg. Hmm. But if you move in a little close, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rough you up a little. But it's not going to hurt that much. You can also be there to help your kids navigate that. Yeah, th- this is... in, it, it depends on how old your children are, too. I would say that I... Sure. I have, and we have done, you know, we've done we've made all kinds of decisions. We've had to make decisions that we couldn't play with certain children for a certain season until other things were getting figured out. And there's nothing wrong with making that decision. That is a responsible parental decision. You are not to put your children at risk in the name of hospitality or something else, because it's not, that's not hospitality. This is a play date. It's not worth it. I believe that Tyndale's plowboy, the average person, should have the Bible in contemporary language. That Bible translations, therefore, are key tools for the Great Commission that Christ gave us to disciple the nations, to teach them to observe everything Christ has commanded us. I believe that regular Christians can and must read and study their Bibles on their own. I believe that we're not on our own, that the Spirit will guide us into all truth. And I believe that one of the Spirit's most important tools for doing this is other human teachers, despite our own failures. I believe in Bible study. And all this is why I find myself constantly turning to Logos Bible software and all my work. It makes the Bible text accessible to me at a level of detail I just don't get elsewhere. And it also gives me quick and inexpensive access to the work of many, many careful Bible teachers. The new Logos 9 now makes it even easier for me to do this. And I want to show you what I mean. If I type in any Bible passage into the passage guide, I get a prioritized list of links to all my commentaries. Logos 9 is all about small improvements that add up to something bigger. And now, in this new release, Logos 9, Logos gives me extra information about all my many commentaries, including even what denomination their authors come from. This is information that does help me in my Bible study. I'm all the time doing this, checking on my commentators, getting help from them, understanding scripture. Logos 9 has other small but big improvements like dark mode for all you dark mode people out there. I'll never understand you, but more power to you. It has the totally revamped fact book, a great place to start your study on all kinds of biblical topics. Christianity can get unmoored from the Bible, and what a horror it is when that happens. Don't let it happen to you. Use the best Bible study tools there are. Use Logos 9. Go to Logos.com and check out some of our base packages. Download our mobile app and start using the tools there. If you listen to a podcast about Bible study, you're probably pretty serious about it. You should not remain content with the free resources available on the internet. Check out the new Logos 9. 
Yeah, and you've said you said in your book that in order to invite people into a home, that's what hospitality is. We have to have a secure place called home. Right. And once if hospitality, especially on the level of children, is actually violating that space or going past barriers, physical barriers of energy or what have you that um, ought, that God put there, then you no longer have a home to invite people to. Now, um, I really should have worn steel-toed boots to this interview because I don't know how you did this, but it's just like you hear in these conversion stories where somebody's sitting in the audience and it's like the preacher is talking right to them. And everything the preacher is saying just happens to fit the details of their lives. Like almost everything you said, like word for word is exactly the experience that we have. And let me tell you what my heart does when I listen to you talk, because because you're giving me Bible. I hunger and thirst for righteousness. I think not, here's this high bar that I could never meet. I think Christ met this bar for me. And he does, he did prepare me for these good works. So I want to, and I, I just call out to him while I'm talking to you for grace to do these things. I want to do these things. I, I want to follow the Bible. I'm sure that is the way that our, uh, the people who watch and listen to the Bible study magazine podcast are. So now let me, let me take another verse here. Cause this season, uh, is all about application of the Bible. And this episode of the Bible Study Magazine podcast is focused on applying the Bible in our homes. And I let that include our neighborhoods. And I couldn't think of anyone better to talk to than you, Rosaria. Okay. So here's a verse, Luke 14, 12 to 14. Jesus says, basically, I'll just summarize, don't invite people over who can invite you back. The, the wealthy people in your church, the the friends that you already have that are at your same level who are inclined to invite you back, invite the people who could never invite you back. And that is one of those verses that I've just always known it's there. Here's Jesus. He, he really couldn't be more clear. And I have barely ever done it in my life. I, I did try. There was a time in my life when that was easier to do because of where we were at, like like right. geographically. Right. Um, and the great irony was we invited this lady over who lived in an adult home for people who couldn't really function in society. And guess what she did? She invited us out to Chick-fil-A and paid for it with money. I don't know where she got it. So even then I was like, I tried to obey Jesus and she did invite me back. Um, but what do you say to the person who looks at a verse like that and says, you know, I can almost not even name where it is in my heart that is res has resisted this for all these years. Why has this just never happened? Where do I even start? That's a lot of questions boil into one, but talk to that person who might be me. Well, the first thing I would say is what a beautiful example of God's spirit working in you. Because if God's spirit was not working in you, you would read that verse and you'd pivot. You'd pivot. You'd, you'd have, you'd have, you'd go cherry pick Excuses. a bunch of other verses that would explain why you're too important to, to have to deal with the riffraff. Right. And that your gifts have just, they've just kept you busy in this sphere and you got to pass. Right. The fact that it's, it, you know, if we don't, if the Bible doesn't make us uncomfortable, if the, if we don't feel, you know, that the Bible is speaking to us and that on our own strength, we can't measure up. If we don't feel that way, there's something really wrong. Then we've become so, God and not let him have the authority over us. Absolutely. And, and a book that I just, you know, I really love it's um, um, A.W. Pink's profiting from the word, hmm. you know, because if you want to, if you want to turn a profit on this word, you know, you, you want the word to make you more like Christ. Hmm. You don't want to just have a lot of head knowledge and then it has to do certain things to you that you've just described. So I would say, first of all, praise God, you're his. <laughs> now, what you do with a verse like that is you don't look at how you're going to tackle it alone and on your own strength. So that's the big problem that evangelical Christians have in general that I think, see, I'm such an outsider, hmm. but I've, I've never met people who tend to look, you know, who say, well, it's God's grace, it's God's power, it's God's, but then it, there's so much like me, I've got to do it. I've, you know, I've got to double down. Just wait a second. You know, you're part of a body. So to, to think about, you know, does everybody have to do this all the time? No. But if nobody in your church is doing it, there's a problem. Right. 
So I'm part of a body. Maybe this is not the right time. Maybe you have an aged parent who would be very, very threatened by this. Or a child with autism who would be very, very threatened by this. Or a newborn. Or, you know, there... God knows what other pressures you have. But what I would say is, you know, this verse also appeals to the challenge that we have in our nice middle-class homes of meeting strangers. Hmm. You know, they just don't fall from the sky. We have never, ever, ever had a stranger fall from the sky. We've actually had to go and seek the stranger. Hmm. And so the challenge is, how do you seek the stranger? Like, how do you, where do you find these people? Um, and, you know, here are just a couple of things just to think about. Um, you could work with an organization like Safe Family for Children. Safe Family for Children is a Christian alternative to foster care. Those of us who work in Safe Family believe that Christians could put the welfare state out of business, and we mean it. Hmm. Um, uh, instead of individual families being home studied and then working individually with other families, a couple of families in the church get home studied and you get to participate in the life of this other family to the degree that you can. Um, uh, You know, if you are busy and you're traveling and you have important things to do, you probably won't won't be able to take in twin three-year-olds in your house, but you can always buy gas cards for their mom who needs to get to work and um, maybe think about leading a Bible study for dad on money management. Um, so it allows you to have full access to the profile of this family in crisis, but it allows you to participate in a way that you can. And again, when you have three families in the church doing this, and we've had examples, we're a very small church, but we've, we've had, a, you know, some amazing experiences where we have, you know, we're, we each have done our, our own part and it's all worked out. And, you know, one of the things that we've realized, we came to realize personally, is that this family that was displaced by homelessness, who was then living with us and another family in the church, we were kind of tag teaming on this. Well, this wasn't just a family displaced by homelessness. This was a Christian family displaced by homelessness. Mm -hmm. We didn't know that until, you know, some other balls had been rolling. So I'm just saying, you know, you you have to have a bridge to this verse and something like, like, like being home studied in an organization like Safe Families for Children, which is a Christian organization, could be the very bridge that you need. And it's very safe because if you're not able to, to do that right now, it's okay. Somebody else will be there. You're part of a team. Christian, you're part of a body. It's not you all alone. Yeah. Don't yeah, panic. I, th- I think that's something, that's a theme that's come up at least twice now in our short conversation, that um, if you said it in your book, I don't know that it registered with me as much as, as it is right now, that this doesn't have to be me and my wife even just rising up to this massive challenge. No, it right. can be me reaching out to other members of the body saying, how can we help together? Which is one reason why you want to be part of a local church you have to. so that you can actually do that. The geography of my area actually makes that a little bit difficult, but there are possibilities I'm thinking of even right now for that. Now, I was actually on a walk the COVID-19 has been really great for me meeting my neighbors. Oh, As yeah. my wife put Absolutely. it, she said, it's kind of like now people are like, oh, there's another person. Hi, hi. So <laughs> sure enough, I ran into uh, two men who live next door to each other or in the same house. I'm not totally certain, but one of them has an awesome yard and I've always wanted to talk to him, but he's never out there when I'm in the neighborhood. But now I was walking to the post office. So I talked to him for half an hour and I talked to his roommate about linguistics. And then I, we, the next house, no, two houses down, we talked to the guy who's a, a truck driver who's off of work. And so he's taking the time to improve his house and he's staying six feet away, but showing me the woodwork in his 1908 house. And we're having a great discussion. Now he said something that actually I wanted to mention to you. He said, uh, I said, well, so how do you like this place? And he said, oh, we love it. He says, ah, but we don't like being so close to the walking dead. And he points down the street and there is a, a community of homeless people who, are, who often congregate in certain areas of our little town. And one of them is right across the 
baseball field from where this guy lives. And there's a guy who is who lives in his car, who was there for about a year. His car was just always parked there. There's always people walking up to him. And I'm just, again, going to sort of confess my fear and ask for you to apply the Bible to me and to others to, I think this applies to as well. I was afraid. And I wasn't afraid for them to hurt me. Like, I'm fast. I think I'm strong. It's not a, the problem is not a fight. Um, I'm afraid I'm going to waste my time because here's what's happened to me. Over the years when I was younger and I didn't have a family, when I would reach out to homeless people, it actually happened a lot more when I was in my early to mid-20s. Um, I was lied to so repeatedly, the most bald-faced, obvious lies. It really did make me justify the eye-rolling response. And I'm no longer doing what that sign in the, in the background says, loving the stranger. I'm keeping my distance. I've talked to others. and So, okay, I'm going to ask you to both handle that and help me use a verse here where Jesus said, one of, I think one of the most shocking things Jesus ever said, I've thought about this so many times. He said, give to him who asks of you. And I'm going to quote the King James here because this is what I grew up with. And of him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Help me apply that verse to this situation with people I am afraid will lie to me and waste my time. Right, right. Well, I would say, first of all, um, your, your time isn't your time. And your money isn't your money. Amen. So, you know, okay, <laughs> okay, <laughs> it's time consuming. It's really laborious. Um, but, but I would also say, and I was thinking about Hebrews 13, about the um, entertaining strangers um, is the same thing as unwittingly entertaining angels. Yeah, the King James uh, says unawares. Unawares, yes. And, I, you know, I would say God's, God has already preordained these conversations that you're going to have, including the experience of getting walked all over and getting lied to, getting robbed. Um, he's, he, let, let's just be clear. We, I believe that that's not surprising the Lord. Hmm. Um, a couple of years ago, when I worked in urban ministry, everybody's conversion story had about 40 Christians who shared the gospel and helped, and they were all part of the story. But they, but they weren't ready, you know, they weren't converted yet, but they were all part of the story. So, you know what? Who knows? You're, you're part of that story, probably. Maybe you don't like the role you played in that story. Well, guess what? You didn't get to pick it. I'm a slave. I'm a disciple. I don't get to yeah. go to you the master and say, no. no, 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 I'd really like this other assignment. You do not get to pick the role you play in people's lives. So that's one thing. The second thing is that, um, you know, it... <sighs> You definitely are taking a risk to um, adopt a teenager out of foster care, um, get to know a homeless person, you know, all of these things. But, you know, they're taking a risk, too. Hmm. And for all the times that you've been lied to. Right. Yes. You know what? Kids don't end up in foster care because their parents racked up library fines. Okay? It, that's just not how you get there. You get there because the people who are supposed to take care of you betrayed you at the very moment you needed them. Right. So yes, I understand it. You've been lied to, you've been robbed, you've been hurt. I get it. That's not, I'm not, you know, I don't sound terribly sympathetic, but I, I, I really believe that those other people have, have also been hurt. Hmm. And what you need to do is not, is not, you know, the, the, the thermometer that you have in your hand needs to not be stuck in your emotion, hmm. but rather in what God's calling you to do. You know, and right now during COVID-19, it's very hard to know what to do with our homeless population. It's extremely hard because our shelters are full and many times infected. And it's, you know what? I, I haven't heard a good solution. If you have one, I'd love to hear it. So, you know, everybody's on edge, but here's what I know. You share the gospel and, you know, obviously sharing food with people, you know, that's a no brainer. Okay. I mean, you know, they'll eat it or they'll not eat it. But I, you know, I have a, a dear friend who 
a neighbor. In fact, you know, my neighbors, um, Bob and Donna, we've been for years, um, our, our two households have been praying for our neighborhood. And, and we were just saying when this started, oh, I'm so glad we laid the groundwork. You know, I'm so glad we laid the groundwork. Um, and I am, you know, I am because there's, we can get more quickly to the hard things with people because we have had the opportunity to lay the groundwork. But, but Bob always keeps, you know, peanut butter crackers and bottles of water and a Bible, extra Bibles. And he gives those to people. And if it's a situation that he really is like, wow, this, this, we need to do something. He will go and, you know, bring one of his deacons to the street corner and, you know, come up with a better solution. Um, but nobody has a magic bullet for this one. I think the challenge is, you know, we like to be able to manage tasks that we can be successful at. And we don't like to get involved with people or problems that we can't see the end of this. And again, that's why this is a body issue. You know, you see, you see a, a homeless community Talk to your elders, talk to your deacons, see what can be done. Um, it's, you're not going to fix the problem. But you don't have to flee from the problem either. And it's ultimately not yours to fix. You just, you're, an, you're, you're, a, you're an ambassador for Christ. I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the growth. So whether I'm the planter or the waterer or one of 38 waterers, I'm a slave, I'm a disciple, I'm just going to obey. You right. know, to be perfectly honest, um, I gave your book five stars on Goodreads and then I thought to myself, wait a minute, if I give this five stars, it almost like constitutes a vow that I'm gonna do these things. And I thought, <laughs> I, I need to think about this longer. This is, this is life-changing stuff. If I'm really going to reorient my life it, it is scary, but I'll tell you, my heart responds to Bible. And if my master tells me the slave, this is what you must do, at the very least, it's weighing on my conscience as I think it ought to do. Right. Um, I'm embarrassed right. to say how long it takes sometimes for God's trees to grow and for my life to respond with obedience. But my heart rises up to what you're saying. I want to do these things. And I'm thinking of people in my neighborhood for whom this is true. And, and this is part of the answer, I think, already to my next question, which is loving the cultural stranger. So not only do I have people who are near me and are across borders of culture, and dare I say class, we're not allowed to say we have class in America, but it is a reality I, I think we have to grapple with or we're gonna misunderstand the ways to love one another. But I have people who stand across worldview divides that have become even deeper as uh, a Christendom has run more and more on fumes and been replaced, I think, with alternate worldviews. So we're sitting there at the birthday party and our next door occasional neighbor, long story. We really love her. We get along great. Our kids play, totally lost. She's casually commenting about the crystals that she has that you know, have some effect on her and I can't remember. And I'm suddenly thinking, oh boy, do I let this become a clash or do I smile and nod? Um, how do I love strangers across the, across the cultural divide? And I'm gonna add one more anecdote here before I let you weigh in, and I really hope for your wisdom. Um, I'm going to keep it a little vague here, but I have a relative who is almost everything that you were before your conversion. I mean, it is uncanny. Oh, everybody I'm, does. I can't tell you how many cousins I have out there. This is a yes. <laughs> that's I'm, and so I know people are reading your books um, in the Christian community in order to show love to these. People, they, they don't feel they understand. Um, and I even had these dreams about, well, you know, conservative Christian and radical leftist, you know, write cordial letters to one another and then post them. Well, it hasn't gone that well. Um, it, it's, it's this kind of situation where her social media feed is dedicated more than any I've ever seen to hatred of evangelical Christians. Um, and no amount of gracious backpedaling and acknowledging a fault that I can do can possibly mm -hmm. mollify right. this relative. Um, now, let me be clear. 
she loves us and sends our kids gifts. And we love her too. And we've actually had good interaction with her for sure. Um, but then the, the bile that is just poured at all evangelicals, and she well knows that we're among them, it gets wearying. And we're not sure, is there a point at which um, you just, you do take a step back? Um, I'd like, so I've kind of asked you about two different circumstances, but still across a cultural divide, the more friendly person and the really hostile person. How do I apply the Bible verses about loving the stranger? Because that word in the background, that's a Bible word that you've got there. How, how do we apply those verses to these situations? Right, 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 right. Well, you know, one of the, one of the biblical um, gestures of hospitality is actually not to move away, but to move forward. And so I think that's, that's just something that we need to think about, that when we, you know, you know, so what we're dealing with are competing religions, I mean, maybe it would be easier if you were just saying, and, you know, my cousin is a Muslim or my, you know, um, uh, you know, my next door neighbor is a Buddhist. But no, the crystals and the LGBTQ leftist rights, this is, this is a religion. Peter Jones talks about this extremely well. We, 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 we minimize the problem when we think we're dealing with a secular world. See, a secular world can tolerate very easily different worldviews. That was what it was set up for. Classical liberalism is we're going to supposedly set aside ultimate values so people right. won't uh, fight each other anymore. Right, right. But the fight is on because this is a religion. And you're talking about Peter Jones' Lexham Press book, The Other Worldview, right? Oh, you know, I was, I was actually thinking about a new book that oh, okay. I have the privilege of reading that isn't out yet called uh -huh. Rainbow. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, but yes, all, I mean, and his theory of oneism and twoism, yes. I think all of this he talks is about that in that book. Extremely important because if you don't know what you're dealing with, you're not going to have, you know, you just, you don't even know which tools that you're supposed to take from the biblical toolbox. Right. So I'm going to just say something that we, we are, um, I, I, you know, this might sound not very generous, but I think evangelical Christians are really hoping for a kind of quick response to these people, sort of that, you know, the word of God does not return void. I'm going to say a, a, a biblical verse. They're, they're going to repent and turn around and we're going to get on with things. Or, or at best, they'll splutter and have no response like right. Calvin I mean, against Mo the bully. Yeah, yeah. But you see, I, you know, one of the things, at least, you know, just from my own experience in the, in the very lovely Christian home of Ken and Floyd Smith, was that they never thought that my questions and my concerns were going to be answered in a sound bite. See, these are the people who were most instrumental in your conversion yes, when you were a radical leftist lesbian professor. Yes. They showed yes. hospitality to you over and over again. Right. And I probably had 500 meals at their house before I committed my life to Jesus. Okay. I mean, let's, I mean I was not a, a low maintenance thing, but what we would do was very consistent. We would eat we would talk and then at a certain point we would stop talking and ken would open the bible and we would read the bible we would sing from the psalter we would discuss what we just read and we would pray and we would say good night and we would come back and do it again and i think the challenge is to stop thinking about how to have the right word and to start thinking about how to have the right relationship the kind of relationship where you can say, now look, these are really, uh, these are good observations. These are interesting observations. I don't share them at all, but it's a long story. And would you be willing to have that long story? Would you be willing to engage with me in that long story? And I understand that right now you can't come to my actual dinner table, but um, one of the things that I do know about right now is uh, six out of seven continents are in an existential dilemma. And the gospel responds to that. And here we are speaking on Zoom, and you can do that with your neighbors. You can, you can say to your crystal-loving neighbor, you know, I'm wondering if you would be willing, to, first of all, for me to hear more about what you're saying, because the, the snippet at the kid's birthday party, I couldn't catch it. 
And I'm wondering if you would be willing for me to share with you what I believe to be true according to scripture. And you know what? People will actually take you up on that. Now, the social media issue is a different issue. And I'm probably significantly older than you are. So I might, um, this might be generational. But I just, I think that the way that people use social media is so strange. It's so strange. It's so, it's so, um, it's so foreign to my sense of, 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 of just common sense. Social media makes so, it flattens that relationship between public and private. And everything private becomes public. Why in the world do people take pictures of their lunches and put it on Facebook if you're not going to eat it with them? It makes no sense to me. But what it does is it creates a generation of people who speak without understanding that some things are private and some things are public. And so what I would say in that case is don't model what your cousin is doing, but don't take undue offense at it. I mean, you know, the late Christopher Hitchens accused Mother Teresa of exploiting the poor in Calcutta. Um, uh, a, a writer for USA Today, whose name I won't mention, uh, you know, because I've got some history here in this conversation too, has accused Samaritan Purse of, of um, engaging in a practice he calls bigots offering charity. Both this writer from USA Today and Christopher Hitchens, you know, we're not talking about stupid men, but we're talking about pretty idiotic things. I, I just, we really, we really are. And so what you need to do in the face of that is show up, do the right thing, and leave it to God how these people are going to interpret it. And Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, that's actually an occasion for rejoicing. Rejoice when people say all manner of evil yes. things against you yes. falsely for my sake. And I didn't anticipate how that's painful right. the falsely part would be. Yeah. You're, you're, you're actually ready for people to say things about you um, that are true. You know, if they're, if they're going to call your love for other people evil and wicked, which actually this relative has done, said that all of our love for other people has just been driven by the mode of a proselytizing. Right. Um, right. I was ready for that. What right. I wasn't ready for was the false, the, the people twisting words and misrepresenting what my right. Christian motivations were. So right. I've had to think about that verse repeatedly, and you're helping me apply it to this these, these situations that I have, these are very helpful words. I think you've got more. I want to let you keep going on that. Oh, well, I, I just, I mean, I just, I think it's, it's crucial, again, to not be emotionally driven, prickly people. Um, and, to, and, to, and to let, uh, let it work itself out. Make sure that you are scrupulous. Make sure that your deeds before men are indeed um, you know, that they are exactly what the Lord Jesus would have. And, and um, just like the Bible says that elders have to be given to showing hospitality, it says absolutely. that they ought to have a good reputation with those who are outside the church. So right. it's recognizing there is this level of common grace that right. our neighbors generally do regard our love for our children and our giving food to the poor family down the street, what have you, yep. as good things. They're not exactly. usually going to turn around and say that's actually bigotry in disguise. Right. Unless you write for USA Today and you right. have a platform and a book coming out and have some, you know, have some access to ground. But you know what? God's going to use all of that. But make sure that you aren't um, failing to obey Jesus because of the, um, the backlash. And it, it is hard and it is very, very painful. And there have been times, I mean, Kent and I, I have been the target of just pure hatred. I'm certain you have. So many directions that at one point we looked at each other and we said, you know, this is a little bit like that scene in Jurassic Park where, you know, at the end, Alan Grant has got the, the you know, the, the velociraptors here, but then the, then the T-Rex comes and eats that, you know, like it just, it, it's absurd. Um, but you need to stay focused on what it means to be a Jesus follower. You know, I've just been 
thinking a lot about Exodus 10, 24. And, um, um, you know, partly because of, uh, well, partly because I heard an excellent sermon on it um, recently. Um, uh, you know, that we've got some, we've got good time to listen to sermons. And I did, yeah. I heard an excellent sermon on it. And, um, and uh, you know, the, it's in the middle of the plagues, right? And we're in the middle of a plague. And, um, you know, so Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt. Three days, they did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. And at a certain point in the Bible, uh, just, the, just in verse of the verse ahead of it, it said that this darkness was a darkness that could even be felt. But then here's the line, but, but all the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. Hmm. I was listening to a sermon by, I think it was Toby Sumter, and he was saying, where'd that light come from? Where'd that light come from? You know, that, that light is the light that comes from Jesus. That, that light is what it means to be people who stand in the resurrected Christ. There's a power that comes from the resurrection that is imparted to you, it's still very scary. There is still darkness. That can be felt. There, that can be felt. There is still this novel virus. And, you know, those of us who are old enough to have lived through the beginnings of AIDS, remember, viruses never come with user manuals. This one is especially vexing because apparently you get it from breathing and we have to do that. Inhale, exhale. Breathing there is very popular in America and in China. Very yes, very necessary. But we know that COVID-19 will not overcome the world, that Christ will. Right? First John 4, 5. We know that, that, that it's, but it's still scary. You could still look out there in the darkness from the light you have inside and be terrified. So don't do that. Put your eyes in the right place. And, you know, that's another reason, I think, for Christians to be very careful about their use of social media. Because you also are engaging in a world that collapses public and private. Hmm. I really believe that social media is best used for simply description of events. Prayer meeting moved from 7.30 to 8 o'clock tonight things like that. I think that when people start to engage with ideas, it, it, you, you, it, it really, you don't know, you're not, you don't know with whom you're speaking. And maybe, and you know, for some Christians, that's great. You know, some Christians, they kind of set their clock on how many people they've offended. Hmm. But um, I think that's, I think that's sin. That's not looking for that good reputation among those who are outside the church. It isn't no. loving your neighbor as yourself. No, none of those right. things. It's, yeah, it's when you When you use social media, especially in, in my experience, I actually get this in part from Alastair Roberts, who pointed out that when you argue with somebody in public, they have now a bunch of face-saving reasons to conclude that you're totally wrong. If you approach them in private, a soft word turns away wrath. There might be an opportunity for you to gain your brother. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm tracking with you completely on these things. Now, some themes are coming out of our conversation that was about hospitality that I think apply to the whole second season of the Bible Study Magazine podcast. Um, we're talking about application. But what I hear you repeatedly doing, Rosaria, is applying the Bible to every little thing in your life, that it is easy, even if you've been a Christian a long time, to kind of just uh, absorb whatever your culture is, even your conservative Christian culture, let it kind of dictate your values rather than the Bible, okay? And the theme I'm getting from you is, I am such a slave and disciple that I'm obligated to be looking around for how to apply the Bible to my life in every little area and one of the things Absolutely. you said that was, was just the most, in a way, cutting in the very best way and made me say, God, help me, was when you said, first error, your time is not your own. I mean, you, you, just, you just went right up against American individualist culture 
something that I've assumed, you know, I have this book, Getting Things Done. Well, you're not going to get stuff done on your list if, if you have to invest in people's lives, which maybe means that you need a new list. You need a list that is written by your master and not by you. This is a very sobering conversation for me, but I, go ahead. It also means that you need to have good advisors. It means that your pastor and your elders and your, 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 your body, your community, your Christian community is working together with you because there are things that require deep concentrated rhythm. Books don't get written if one is not sitting at one's desk. Right. And, and, you know, there's always a lot of things going on out there. And um, I spent Tuesday with my daughter. We, we were on the road for 12 hours delivering food. And I do have a book to write, you know. And, and so I have friends who are saying, okay, Rosaria, let's spend Tuesday doing this. But I need you to give me this, this, and this. You see what I'm saying? Because I, I would not get to those other things if I didn't have people who just said, that's your Tuesday job. And now your Wednesday job is going to look a little different. That is so, just funny. We need friends like that who are willing and able and who know they're welcome to correct us. Even when they say, what, you're doing a little too much of this kind of good. Let's get on to the other kind of good. And, and, and that's a recognition of the body principle, right? That's that right. you right. have a couple places in the body many that I couldn't even know about, but from reading your writings, listening to your lectures and things, I know you have this important, uh, this important place in the body of reaching out to other Christians to talk about hospitality, to talk about um, hot cultural issues of sexuality and identity. And then you have this other hat that the Lord has given you to show love to your neighbors who may have no idea what you're doing for the Christian community. You know, you, you've been given that place in the body. Maybe I, maybe somebody else, my wife, other people in my church, of course, we're going to have different uh, right. assignments right. in the body of Christ, but we need to be looking out for how we can apply the Bible uh, by fulfilling those assignments. Do you want to know which I think is more important? I do. Yes. Delivering meals, de delivering meals to 55 households on a Tuesday with my 14 year old daughter, who survived major surgery last year and in the middle of a pandemic is wondering why she came through it hmm. and to watch, um, you know, to see so many blessings from God on that day, you know, you met 55 strangers with a box of food and it was pretty amazing. And I think that's much more important. And so, because of that, I have people who literally have to tie me to my desk. Uh -huh. that, that raises a Bible question I had for you, actually. There is a verse, Galatians 6, Galatians 6.10. How, how does this shape your hospitality? Apply it to us. It says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are, who are of the household of faith. And uh, again, an anecdote here for you. Help me apply the Bible to my life. And I think and hope this will be helpful for others. I have tended and I've actually had people in spiritual leadership in my life tell me, it seems, Mark, uh, okay, let me rewind back a little bit. I've expressed frustration that in my efforts at evangelism over really, boy, it's been 25, 30 years back to Little League Baseball, I've not seen much success. Um, especially when I was younger, I was more frequent at it, but I enjoy it. I like talking to people. I enjoy talking to strangers, mm -hmm. but me nobody too. ever gets saved. Um, and I've had people tell me, well, maybe your gift is edifying the body of Christ. And I've even thought about this verse. I'm a Bible teacher. I write Bible study articles. I edit stuff for a Christian publisher, Lexham Press. I do this podcast, um, which is watched, you know, 100% by Christians and 0% by non-Christians. Um, am I living out Galatians 6.10 by especially doing good to the household of faith and applying the body principle or am I missing something? Now, you don't know me. You don't know all how I spend my time. But in general, the many people in the Christian world who are able to live and even make a living in the Christian bubble, pastors can often be this way, um, apply this verse to them. It, does it allow some people to basically spend pretty much all their time focused on helping other Christians? Well, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, actually. I, I really, really don't. I, I think, again, unless you're cherry picking this verse and you're saying, well, 
because of my special Bible teaching gifts and my high intelligence and my, you know, amazing abilities in these erudite ways, I am never to interact with a stranger ever. I'm just going to equip the peons to go out and do that. I mean, that's what you're saying that, you know, your elders need to give you the smackdown. And if the Bible hasn't already done it, you're, you know, right. So I'm not saying that. No, no. But you know, I think, I think it's true. I believe that we need to build up the local church. And I, and in fact, I think that so many of the ridiculous wars on Twitter and the, absurd, you know, polemics, quote unquote, ministries that are just slander machines. It's like the the national inquirer out there, you know, I think if we had a strong local church, we wouldn't have that kind of Hmm. stupidity. And it is Hmm. stupidity. And we wouldn't have it. So please build the local church. And, And may you be, may your local church be such a presence in your life that your neighbors look over and they say, hmm, that Mark guy is a little hard to understand, you know. I, I don't, I don't, I don't understand it. But they have friends who care for them. They care for those friends. They look at look at the way that one lawnmower goes around to fourteen different homes. Or you know, does is it true that they have one Instapot that they all share? Or you know, what's what's all this sharing about? I mean, I, I remember when I lived in Syracuse. It didn't take much. You'd look across that horrible snow-filled you know parking lot, and you'd think. I want to be friends with people who have snowblowers. <laughs> I want people to, even if it's for the wrong reasons, to say that about Christians. I want to be friends with people who have other friends who help them in times of need, who don't Amen. forget them in their homes, who don't throw people away. Hmm. I want to be friends with people who don't throw people away. Hmm. Boy, that is a, that's a heart cry that so many people have. And, and just by you living your life, you know, with the, you know, the windows, the shades open, you know, people can, they can see those things. Hmm. And so, no, I don't think, I think unless you're using this to pivot and skirt other responsibilities, no. I do think though this, that, that Christians need to understand that hospitality is just a matter of doing what you do and opening your arms a little wider. Okay, it, 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 it's not some, it, it, there's not a special gifting that goes with it. it. It's not a specialized enterprise. There's no PhD that's going to be granted to the, 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 you know, the giving of hospitality. It's just doing what you do and opening your arms a little wider. Including more people. It's not entertaining, you said in your book. You know, I have this image of the 1950s housewife who gets everything perfect and only then basically is showing off. That's what kind of entertaining yeah. means. Yeah. You're saying yeah. do what you normally do and include yeah. other people. Let me ask one final question that's gonna be very topical and we're actually gonna to try to get this out to the public sooner than originally planned uh, because of COVID-19. Um, how do we prepare to show hospitality, to apply the Bibles and many statements that we've been talking about to love of stranger, to what very well could be a coming Great Depression 2.0. And, you know, I loved, you know, I had, I had seen that question beforehand, and I, I, I mentioned to Kent, my husband, I said, finally, somebody is looking past, you know, May here, because I think that's right. I, I think it's really important. So I'm going to share just a couple of things. I mean, one is that we have lived in a very privileged um, economically privileged condition. You know, we have been living like the kings of Babylon. And with it, we've had the sins of Babylon. And what will happen when we are no longer an economically accomplished sp- uh, nation is that some of those sins will not be things we can afford. Um, there will be no garnering of sympathy for people who say that they are men trapped in women's bodies. Just won't be there. Um, A love warrior will not be someone who um, divorces her husband to marry another woman. We just won't be able to afford those things. Um, um, Massive displays of gay pride marches and the level, uh, the things that happen in those will not be 
easy to overlook anymore. Um, basic things are going, basic truths are going to rise to the surface. They already have. You know, you've heard the, the uh, governor of New York, who before was a complete relativist, my truth, your truth. When he talks about how many ventilators he needs, he's not saying my truth, your truth. He has got a number and it's objective. There will be very important things that will come because we don't have the money hmm. to engage in the idols of our day. But if the idols of the gay rights community are going to be taken down and the idols of, you know, the abortion industry are going to be taken down, you can guarantee it that our idols are going to be taken it's down. It's going to start with the household of faith. And yes, and this is a heart test. Christian, do you want to live in a, in a poor country that, that, that doesn't have a gay pride march? For whatever reason, because we're social distancing and we don't want more than five people, whatever, whatever reason. Or do you want one that does and you, you know, Wall Street's looking good. Um, it's a hard test about where we stand. But no, we, we really have, I mean, it, it's, I think we've destroyed our economy. Um, and, and we can, you know, I'm not a, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know if all of these measures were necessary or not. I'm not, I'm not commenting on that. I think that Christians are to follow the civil magistrate, but I agree. It, it, it's been a long time. And I mean, I, you know, it, it could be that, that what civil disobedience means in 2020, it could mean that civil disobedience means going to church, going to work and getting a haircut. I mean, it just, it, it couldn't, it could come to that. But I do know that, we can no longer just rail against the idols of, a, of, 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 of the world and keep our own. Hmm. And go, what God may very well be doing, and only he ultimately knows all his purposes. We know his ultimate purpose is of, glor of glorifying himself, but what he may be doing is toppling idols. that The Bible talks about when it says, it encourages us to pray, don't let me be so wealthy that I forget you. And most definitely that is the temptation of the vast majority of Christians that I know, and it's my temptation. I've never been hungry a day in my life. Could that day come in which I have to prepare to show love to the stranger, and, and give from a place of lack rather than a place of plenty. You know, I have a feeling that we could talk long because the Bible has so much to say about loving our neighbor. It's the second great command, love our neighbor as ourselves, which is just a mind-boggling statement, again, from Jesus. How could anyone do that? Love my neighbor as much as I love myself? Well, what you've helped us do, Rosaria, and thank you, is taking these Bible verses that are talking about ways to love our neighbor and press them further into our lives. And I, for one, am very grateful. Thank you for being my guest on this first episode of the second season of the Bible Study Magazine podcast. It's been my pleasure. May all the glory go to God. Amen. I agree. Thanks for joining us for the Bible Study Magazine podcast. Our audio video technicians are Jack Underwood and Brandon Van Beek. I'm your host, Mark Ward, editor-in-chief of Faith Life's Bible Study Magazine. And because I love all you strangers, I'm going to urge you to do something for your own good. Subscribe to the Bible Study Magazine podcast or to the magazine itself. We're just here to help you study the Bible with the best tools available. <music>